What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Sideline Stories. Today, I'm joined by Malcolm Lemons, former professional basketball player, creator of The Hype Report, and a contributing writer at Boardroom. How are you doing today, Malcolm? I'm doing fantastic, Brendan. I appreciate the opportunity, man. Absolutely. Thank you for taking your time today. Can you just start with a quick intro on who you are? Yeah, for sure, man. So I, I tell people all the time, like I was a kid who just had a dream to play basketball. So I chased that throughout my whole life, was uh, fortunate enough to go play in college at Division One. then had the opportunity to go play pro for a few years. So I achieved that dream. But, you know, as with all athletes, that, that has to come to an end one day. So transitioned out of basketball and uh, started working in technology. Um, and on the side, just had this affinity and passion for the sports business space. So I had always kind of had a hand in that and started a number of different projects um, over the years. But you know, ultimately landed on on building the Hype Report, which is a newsletter at the intersection of, of sports and Web3, which I'm, we'll, I'm sure we'll dive deeper into um, and then start writing for, for boardroom. So it's been a series of uh, a lot of trial and error and figuring out, you know, my path in life after sports was just super, super passionate about the, the sports industry and how it kind of impacts, um, you know, different areas of, of, you know, life and things of that nature. So. Absolutely. I appreciate that. And yeah, I think you, you laid out, you kind of previewed the episode, whether you knew it or not. Um, we're definitely going to be talking about, you know, your life as a, a college athlete, a professional athlete overseas, some of the things you learned from that. Um, I think starting with the hype report, though, can you just touch a little bit about what inspired you to start writing the newsletter? Um, you know, you like you mentioned, it's a newsletter at the intersection of sports, AI and Web3. I guess let's start with what inspired you to start the hype report. And why a newsletter? Why not uh, an Instagram page or, you know, a Twitter page? There's so many platforms these days. Why'd you, why'd you think to start a newsletter? Uh, well, I would say that writing always kind of came naturally to me. Um, it really was a thing that kind of jumpstarted my transition into life after sports. Um, while I was overseas, I got into writing more as a means of like therapy than anything else, like just releasing my thoughts and having so much free time on my hands, you know, I just wanted a way to kind of express myself. And writing was the thing that, you know, just felt so innate. Um, and so I've, I've been writing since, you know, I was younger, um, but never really took it serious until I transitioned out of basketball. And so um, the hype report really kind of came because um, I, I started getting into crypto around 2017, but then during the pandemic, uh, really kind of went down the Web3 rabbit hole. It's like NFTs and the metaverse and all these different Web3 um, capabilities started to emerge. Um, and really thought it was fascinating and wanted to kind of find a way to, to learn more about the space. And uh, as I you know started to do more research, I didn't see a lot of people or publications talking about the intersection of sports and Web3. And so I felt that uh, when you think about the use cases of uh, Web3 technology and blockchain, like sports had so many underlying characteristics that really matched what Web3 represented in, in my perspective. And so I wanted to create a space that, um, you know, where I could learn and kind of scratching my own itch, but also educating other people who worked in the sports industry and who were sports fans um, about how blockchain is going to impact the sports world. And so that was really how it started for me. It was like me wanting to just learn and then putting out my perspective and some of the insights and news that I was coming across um, in the industry. And I thought a newsletter would be great, um, mainly because I said, like, writing is something that's natural to me, something I feel like I'm best at. Um, and I felt like it was just uh, easily digestible for people. 
And, and so it's it's been growing slowly. But as I said before, like we're only at the beginning of uh, kind of this revolution. And, and the goal with the newsletter is just to continue building that value and, uh, you know, being as consistent as possible with it sounds like you didn't almost see it as like what platform can I get on? It's like, let me produce really high level writing and then I can repurpose that writing on multiple different platforms. Um, so I think that's that really helps. And I appreciate you you kind of giving us a little bit of insight. Um, a, a question that you probably get all the time, probably sick of hearing it. You might be sick of answering. H how would you describe just... Because I know you mentioned AI, NFTs, Web3, crypto. As someone who doesn't, hasn't gone down that rabbit hole yet, how would you describe how all of those concepts, ideas are related to one another? Is it all under like the Web3 umbrella? Um, how would you kind of parse out those different concepts, ideas? Yeah, so I like to kind of bucket um, NFTs, crypto, in the metaverse and, and DAOs um, under the Web3 umbrella, um, mainly as, uh, you know, these technologies or these concepts are using blockchain, uh, which is essentially just a, a transparent, immutable ledger uh, that anybody could access and uh, view. Um, and it, it's, it's just using this technology to create more uh transparency as i said before around uh transactions on the on the internet or or anything peer-to-peer -peer. so it's giving people um it's making the internet just a lot more uh open and and it's also enabling trustless um, interactions between different parties so kind of removing intermediaries like big tech companies from the equation um, but also giving people ownership over their data and their intellectual property and things that they put out on the internet. Um, and I just look at AI as being a part of that in a way. Um, but artificial intelligence, I think, is uh, will much more will permeate the world in different industries in a different way. And I think um, the way that artificial intelligence, the impact that it would have will probably be greater than some of those other concepts that I um, kind of, uh, you know, named before and how they're going to impact different industries. These are technological advances that um, are going to really revolutionize, whether it's sports or healthcare or real estate, like they're going to change the way we all do business. Um, and, and I think it's really important for people to at least have some type of grasp on how to use these different tools and how to implement them in their daily lives. Because um, as I always say, like innovation doesn't move backwards. You know, there's, there's going to be bumps in the road. There's going to be setbacks, but it's not like we're going to go, you know, once these things are out and into the world, um, there's, it's, it's going to be a, you know, part of the basic fabric of society. Um, and so understanding their, uh, their importance and how, uh, you can use these technologies, I think, is 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 really important for everybody, whether you work in sports or not, to really understand. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So it sounds like there is some overlap and some lines get a little bit blurred when we're talking about these concepts. But at the same time, you know, going back to some some of the work that you do on the education side of things and on the we're all kind of figuring this out together. We're all learning how this is going to impact our daily, weekly, monthly society together. I think that's, you know, all the more reason for people 
you know, you don't have to go down the rabbit hole or be investing hours per day or per week in these things and in these concepts. But I think at the very least, you know, just kind of keeping checking, like keeping a pulse on it or kind of keeping your ears and eyes open to it. So then when there is an opportunity, you're not playing catch up and understand being like, okay, what is AI? What is web three? What are, what are all these things? Meanwhile, other people are steps ahead of you and they're already implementing that in their daily lives. Right. Exactly. You know, we're kind of seeing like all of this kind of take place at the same time, like, especially with like the emergence of like chat GPT, but there are tons of different AI tools that are kind of coming down the pipeline. I think just depending on what you do, like the last thing you want to do is not um, be educated and and be replaceable, you know, whether, Mm -hmm. you know, no matter what you do in your career. So um, understanding how these things work, understanding how to utilize these tools is extremely important to career longevity and, and adding value to your company, or, you know, if you're building your own thing, like being able to kind of stay in the know of how um, these things can really make a difference for whoever your, your client base is or whoever your customer is. Um, I think it's just, it's just uh, extremely critical despite what you do. Absolutely. It's definitely permeating different industries, not just sports. Um, just as a quick example before the next question, I did a little bit of research on Viral Nation, which is, um, you know, they're a technology marketing company and, and they're, they're an agency as well. And, you know, they, one of their uh, platforms is, you know, Viral Nation's AI powered, you know, marketing and um, human resource, basically application platform that, you know, allows their clients, their customers to be able to break down all their social media analytics. So I think when you say healthcare, real estate, I think that's spot on. Um, it's just, I think a matter of, like you said, we're so young in, in this era that it's still just figuring out how it's really going to pan out. Um, exactly. One thing I did, one thing I did want to ask you is, not to not that we listen to the haters on on this side of things but when what is one of the biggest misconceptions about web3 and ai that that you consistently see for example i know you know crypto is yeah. very volatile right so it'll yeah. go up and down and up and down and then people think you know it i don't want to answer the question for you but is one of the misconceptions that people think like, oh, crypto's down. That means like Web3 AI are down. Because um, I, I think I see that from time to time. There's almost waves of enthusiasm or waves of people believing in the future of Web3. So kind of just to circle back, one of the biggest misconceptions that you see in the Web3 AI side of things. Yeah, I think... Uh... You know, you kind of touched on it, man, like the crypto, uh, a lot of people think crypto is a scam. Um, And that's something that has uh, kind of been, you know, out there for a number of years is like people don't, you know, and I'm not going to sit up here and say like there aren't bad actors in the space. But if you think about there's bad actors in every industry, there's people who are going to try to take advantage of others in every single industry. And Web3 is not an exception. So. You have people who put out, you know, these random coins that people buy into and there's really no value utility behind them. And then, you know, the the founder or the creator kind of takes off with the money. We see that with NFT projects as well. So I think during this kind of hype cycle that we saw at the beginning of 2020 to like even now, in some cases, um, the lack of education, the lack of really understanding uh, 
how the space operated and what blockchain technology is uh, really propelled a lot of people to uh, create fake projects or stuff that they just try to get people to give them money for. And, and then they ran off with it. There was like this huge money grab. And that was because of the hype around the industry. We saw a lot of people um, paying millions of dollars for uh, what they call monkey JPEGs and stuff like that. So when you had that in the mainstream media and the lack of education combined with that, um, it could present mm -hmm. opportunities like this. And and we're now kind of starting to get out of that as we're, we're there, you know, there are there's more education being put out there. There are more people who are kind of pushing the right narrative around the, the space and, and treating it as, as, as a long-term game and really having strategic roadmaps behind different projects. And so I think that hype cycle is really a part of any form of innovation. You know, there's going to, as I said before, like there's going to be setbacks. There are going to be companies like FTX, but that isn't anything new. So um, whether it's the metaverse or NFTs or crypto, I think, the misconception is a lot around the lack of education that people have, um, but also like creating platforms and applications and, and businesses and, and projects that actually solve problems for people, I think is another major hurdle that we have to get older, over. It's not really just about you wanting to build an NFT for a uh, project for the sake of you wanting to build it. It's like, what are you providing at the end of the day to the end consumer? Uh, what's the value? What's the utility? What's the mission behind it? So. Um, longer term thinking um, education is really going to play a huge role in the next several years as this, as these um, concepts in this space kind of builds itself out. Um, and I think we'll get there. But, um, you know, those misconceptions, as I said before, are part of any form of innovation or trend or new thing that's happening. Absolutely. And I think that initial excitement is probably going to be true for any emerging industry or technology. And if there's people that are looking to get rich quick, that's gonna come at the expense of someone, right? Yeah. Whether it's people who are uneducated, people who are high risk and willing to invest in things that haven't been around for long. Um, I don't know. It sounds like you're kind of doing the opposite. As far as get rich quick, you're playing the long game. You're mm -hmm. thinking about you know, how a long-term investment in the education around an, uh, Web3 and the education around AI and specifically what I want to get into next, how all of this is interacting with sports, um, which which I think is is the way to go. Um, that being said, kind of on a more positive note, what are some of the greatest potential ways that sports and AI or sports and Web3 will continue to intersect um, that might not be talked about enough yet? Yeah, I mean, that's it's a loaded question, man. There's a tons of ways that I think that teams and organizations and sports properties are already starting to implement these technologies or at least test them out. Um, you know, I've only kind of been diving at the in the intersection of like sports and AI probably for the past you know three or so, so months. But I've come across companies who are uh, AI powered that are building their, you know, building capabilities to, to uh, create personalized nutrition plans for each individual athletes or um, companies that are using artificial intelligence to uh, reduce injuries and, and improve uh, player performance and, and leveraging statistics in really intricate ways. And so a lot of this machine learning technology, um, you know, is really uh, going to improve how players uh, operate on a daily basis. And, and I think in, in turn, kind of improve career longevity and, and help athletes perform better. Um, and then on the team side, one thing I know a lot of stadiums are implementing with uh, AI and biometric 
uh, facial recognition, which is basically taking all of the uh, sensations and, and features in your face to and uh, in, in uh, kind of utilize implementing artificial intelligence within that uh, for facial recognition. So like the same thing we kind of do with our iPhones, um, they're utilizing that within stadium settings so that you don't even need a ticket to get into the arena. You can just scan your face and walk through. Um, so those, that's some of the ways that I've um, started to explore and kind of dive into on the AI side. And then when you think about Web3 and um, the blockchain and, and how that could really give um, teams and, and, and organizations more insight as to who their consumers are and, and a lot more data um, behind their decision makings and how they are operating as a consumer. I mean, the, the kind of the, the use cases are endless. And you would think about, um, you know, how you can create, you know, we all have, like most people have iPhones, you have, you know, your wallet on your digital wallet on your iPhone. Um, so like having a way where teams can embed tickets in that, in every purchase that you make um, on the team side, whether that's a jersey or something at the concession stand or any type of merchandise, um, they have that information and that data on you as a consumer. And you can uh, they can essentially provide certain uh, access or giveaways or airdrop you certain things based on your uh, level of consumerism or your level of, of fandom with that specific team. So that information I think is gonna be extremely critical for a lot of different teams and, and them being able to utilize blockchain. And then from the athlete perspective, man, I think like, you know, athletes starting their own NFT projects and not just doing it as a means of like putting out something for the artistry, but like having actual utility behind it. So like you purchase uh, NFT from Steph Curry, for example, and you get access to um, hit a meet and greet or mm -hmm. uh, certain merchandise that he signed, or you get invited to certain games based on like that, you know, the price point of the, the NFT that you bought and things of that nature. So there's a number of different use cases for this technology. But as I said before, like it goes back to like, why are you doing something at the end of the day? And what is the person on the other side of the equation getting? Um, and so I think it's really going to be fascinating as, um, you know, these companies start to emerge and teams start to really um, implement this technology in innovative ways to build better fan experiences for their audience and their consumers at the end of the day. I love how you connected that back to the fan and the fan experience, because that's exactly what I was going to ask you next. Um, you know, it's one thing for these athletes to be able to perform at a higher level or these teams to be able to, um, you know, supply better, you know, resources or just have a better experience. but at the end of the day, it doesn't all come back to the fan experience, but it sounds like those are, those are ways that, you know, like you said, with the Steph Curry NFT example and with the stadium example, um, you know, those are ways that connect back to the fan experience. So I appreciate, you know, all the education that, you know, you've, you've provided this episode so far, just kind of helping people imagine different ways that we can see this intersection continue to evolve and play out. Um, I do, in the interest of time, want to hear a little bit more about your journey and your life. Um, you know, I don't know if you, I know you mentioned earlier that, you know, growing up, you always just wanted to to be on the basketball court. And I know, you know, you, you started at um, one college, Niagara, and then you transferred to Cal State San Marcos and were able to play overseas in Japan. Um, as a college transfer, though, who 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 went on not to just play at but thrive at a, at a new school that you were at 
you know, averaging over 15 points and five rebounds a game. What are your thoughts on the current transfer portal and allowing college athletes that fresh start? Oh, man, you did your research. I didn't even, I didn't even remember I averaged 15 points ago. That seems, that seems so got, long ago, man. <laughs> but um, you got buckets, I think it's, man. <laughs> I tried, I tried, look. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it has its pros and its cons. Um, looking back, uh, I think NIL has had a, a big impact on whether they want to say it or not on on how student athletes navigate their college careers. And obviously, like when I was playing, NIL wasn't a thing. Like um, it was a totally different uh, era as far as, uh, you know, we didn't think about business or building our brand or social media, things of that nature. So I think student athletes, um, they have a lot more on their plate to consider and which I think is a good thing. You know, they're treating themselves as businesses. They're treating themselves as, uh, you know, uh, creators, investors, and, and thinking outside of the box, thinking more than, than thinking about being more than just an athlete. So I think it's really good from that standpoint. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of in favor of it, depending on the situation. Um, this year has been kind of crazy with a number of transfers. But I think that's kind of a result of everything that's going on with name, image, and likeness. And so um, I, I think student athletes should be able to go where they feel like they are going to be valued the most, where they're going to get the most out of the opportunity, um, and, and ultimately where they think they're going to succeed long term. So, Yeah, I think one of the things, too, that um, an opinion of mine that has kind of formed since the beginning of the NIL era is just winning is important. But like you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, for every athlete, you're, you know, for you, for myself um, included, there's a day where you hang up the cleats that you step off the court for the last time. And, and maybe you step off the court for the last time, you don't even know it's going to be the last time. But if we want to set up athletes for success after their playing careers, then like you said, NIL is allowing that to happen at a much earlier stage and when they graduate or when they retire or when they're done playing their sport they're now creators businessmen businesswomen investors owners founders ceos so i just think that for the overall lifetime of an athlete which doesn't just include the, the minute they play their first game, it, it includes their entire life. Um, NIL has done amazing things. Can you talk a little bit about your experience playing overseas in Japan, about that experience? And if you can, mentioning one highlight and one challenge that ultimately shaped who you are today. Yeah, so I'll, I'll start from the, uh, the last question or last part of it. Um, I would say the the one highlight that I probably remember the most is uh, so my first year, I ended up coming back home early. Um, and in between, like, my first and second years playing overseas, like, I had to get two jobs. Like, I was trying to do anything to get back overseas. I was sending my highlight tape to all these GMs, these coaches, scouts, like, anybody I can get in contact with. And when I went back over my second year, um, playing in that first game after being out for, like, eight months um, was, was really significant for me because it felt like all of that work that I had put in over that time period really had paid off. So I remember that first game playing back 
um, my, my, or getting back overseas my second, my second season more than anything else. Um, that was really impactful for me. And then um, I would say one low um, <laughs> it was probably, I would probably say the day that I retired, um, I was actually supposed to go play in Morocco um, and had the contract signed. Uh, flight was booked. I was supposed to leave three days before Christmas. And the deal fell through literally um, the day before I was supposed to leave. Like they, they told the agent that I was working with, like, we decided not to sign Malcolm. Like we, we looking at this other player instead. And at that time, like I had gone back and forth overseas several times. Like I was just sick of the business and the, and the volatility and the unstable lifestyle, unstable lifestyle. Um, and so that day I kind of just decided to, to, uh, you know, step away from basketball. And so that was probably at the time, um, the biggest low, but I think it was the right thing for me to do at that time. Um, but playing overseas, man, I think overall, uh, is extremely like just an invaluable experience. Like when you get to, you think about it, like you get paid to do something that you love to do and you, that you've been doing every single day of your life. And so it's like accumulation of all those practices, all those workouts, all those time, all that time spent in the gym to get to that point where you're like signing that contract and getting that opportunity to go, um, do something that people would, would kill for. Um, it, it's just incredible, man. And I think, um, being able to do that in a different culture and to immerse yourself in a totally different world than you grew up in, I think is, is also very impactful, um, in terms of just like, uh, you know, the, the food and the language and how they operate, uh, especially being in, in Asia and Japan, which is totally different from the U S man. I think, um, I, I probably grew more than any other point, uh, in my life, you know, just being there for, for that time period and just learning so much about, um, how to just survive, you know, how to, you know, I, I started teaching myself the language. I started to really immerse myself in Japanese culture and, and just was try to go in with a really open mind just to um, make the most out of it. And so it, it was it was something I wouldn't trade for the world, like despite all the challenges on the court, as you mentioned, like the language barrier and the teams I played on weren't great. Um, you, you catch a lot of slack as the American because you're the import, you're the guy they bring in there to basically be the star of the team and take on a lot of, lot of that responsibility. And so, um, you know, there are there are a lot of uh, it's a lot of pressure that comes along with that. And, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of negative stories, but at the same time, like, as I said before, this is something that you dream your whole life. And so despite, um, how it ends up at the end of the day, like you look back on that experience and you gain so much out of it. Um, even, you know, even, even as, as hard as it is to be away from your family and your friends and, you know, for an extended period of time, um, it was something, you know, I, I, I will always cherish um, and will always remember, man. So, absolutely, I love how you said, you know, some of the the most growth you've had in your life came when you were there. I think I think that kind of goes back to the idea of you know we we learn about who we are, kind of at the end of our comfort zone when we take that step out into. In your case, it was another you know part of the world. It was another continent. It was another country. Um, so I appreciate you sharing a little bit more about your your journey there. Um, Kind of moving on, you talk a lot and you create a lot of like high value content in my eyes about what we can learn as like life lessons as athletes, like what we can learn off the court 
from some of the work we put in on the court or some of the work we put in prepping to be on the court. You know, I've seen it on like an awesome LinkedIn posts. I've seen it in Twitter threads. Um, I, I really, I, I mean it that it's some of the, my favorite content because A, it's relatable, but B, it, it's educational, it's empowering. It's, it's, it's like I mentioned, some of my favorite content. Appreciate if you it. had to, I got you, man. And if you had to boil it down, the three greatest lessons you've learned as an athlete that ended up being in any way you want to approach this question, you know, it might be the three most transferable skills. It could be the three mm -hmm. greatest lessons you've learned as an athlete, but the top three, I'm, pu I'm putting them on the spot. Everyone knows I didn't send them these questions beforehand, <laughs> but the, the top three that maybe either consistently keep coming up or the top three that you've felt personally in your life. Um, like I said, however you want to approach it, but top three, um, you know, greatest lessons learned as, as an athlete and having that athlete mentality. I love it. Um, I'll go with the top three transferable skills because I think um, I'll say business and sports are so synonymous in so many different ways. Um, so a lot of the things that I, I think many athletes don't understand while they're playing um, a lot of the stuff that you're learning without like whether it's subconscious or, or not. Uh, uh, are directly, um, you know, transferable to anything that you do in life after sports. So I'll, I'll probably start with like consistency, like being able to do something over and over and over, like days on end is the true mark of any type of success in life. Like getting, getting comfortable with just like boredom, you know, just like putting in the work day in and day out, even if you're not seeing the results. I think that is what separates um, the people who make it and the people who don't is like, they're just willing to put in the work for as long as it takes. And that consistent effort, I think is extremely important, no matter what you do in life. Um, and then in the same vein, I'll probably say, uh, discipline. So like not, and when I say discipline, I, I, I'm saying it in terms of like not letting your emotions get in the way of what needs to be done. So almost like operating like a robot. So a lot of people, you know, we're humans, we operate off of feelings and emotions, but in order to reach your goals or achieve whatever it is you're trying to do, you're not going to feel like waking up early. You're not going to feel like doing certain things at certain points in time, but having that mindset of like, despite how I feel, I'm still going to do this thing, I think is also kind of the marker of, um, truly successful people. It's like just having that disciplined mindset that you're, I'm going to put in this work, no matter how I feel, no matter how tired I am. Um, I need to do this because this is what I committed to. So like making your goals non-negotiable. Um, and then lastly, I think patience, man, like patience. I'm, I'm huge on patience. Like you mentioned before, like playing the long-term game, like everything that I've ever tried to do in life, I've always approached with a long-term mindset. It was never about trying to make a quick buck or trying to, get somewhere in a couple of months like it was always like all right how can i find how to do to do this for years and years and years what is what is going to be the thing that i'm going to commit to for an extended period of time and that i'm going to be willing to wait for um so that patience as an athlete like i i tell athletes all the time like you didn't become a great athlete overnight like that took a lot of effort and discipline and consistency as i mentioned before but it also took a lot of patience and just uh sheer drive over a long period of time. So that patience is something that 
I think I internalize every single day of my life whenever, you know, I'm thinking about like um, building the hype report and, and realizing that this is something that I'm going to do for a long time and that I'm patient with the results or whatever metric I'm trying to reach with it or a subscriber uh, number or whatever the case may be. Like I'm patient enough to wait for years and years on end and not rush that process. So that, that those are probably my biggest takeaways. I um, mean, obviously there's a ton of more lessons and things that, um, you know, I, I, I think you can get from sports, but I probably hang my hat on those three, three things more than anything else. I think those three are all so important, especially taken together. So when you mm-hmm. add consistency with discipline, with patience, yep. and that's a lethal combo right there. And I think, and I think patience doesn't get talked about enough. Um, I think right. it's something that kind of gets swept under the rug because everyone just wants to go viral these days. Everyone wants to just have that one video or post that takes off. Um, but I appreciate microwave generation, that. man. That's facts. That's facts. <laughs> and I think that's also a perfect segue into my last question. Um, you know, in addition to doing the hype report, you're now contributing writer at boardroom and you continue to be, you know, top voice on LinkedIn. You continue to be a creator yourself, not just, and I don't know if you feel the same way. You can tell me I'm crazy. I don't like the term content creator because I think mm-hmm. that sometimes limits what you're creating to content. You know, I like to consider myself a creator generally. Cause like I've created sideline sideline is like a brand to me. It's like a business to right. me. It's not, just con you know it's not just limiting it um to that and i know you know you have a that consistency piece and that patience piece on writing on platforms like linkedin um you've you've seen some of the um you know benefits and some of the amazing results from it and you're still at it continuing to find new ways to to deliver fresh content timely content to people's timelines and and into people's lives. What are some of the benefits of consistently creating, whether that's through the hype report, whether that's through articles on boardroom, whether that's through posts on LinkedIn, Twitter threads, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And in addition to that twofold question, Mm -hmm. do you feel a sense of responsibility um, as a creator for having a voice and having, you know, a, a platform that people look up to you um, and people look up to see, you know, your opinion on things, whether it's on the educational side of things, the inspirational or empowerment side of things, the entertainment side of things. Do you feel like you have now gone to a point where you have, um, you know, a responsibility to continue on and kind of really think about the type of content and the type of, um, you know, writing that you're creating at this point? Those are two really good questions. And, um, uh, honestly, like I've never thought about it that intricately. Um, I'll, I'll speak on the responsibility piece first. Um, I don't, I wouldn't say that I necessarily feel like I have a responsibility. Um, Cause I don't want to make myself to be out to be something bigger than, than who I think I am. Um, I think, I think we all have a responsibility to in, in some way, shape or form um, to extend the ladder back and to help people who look up to us um, 
on their paths in some way, shape or form. Um, I think given the way that uh, how just how social media is and like the, the role it plays in society, um, we need more positivity. We need more people who are putting out inspiring and empowering content as a whole. Um, cause I think obviously like that's beneficial, um, for everyone when you, when you, when you kind of put out that optimism. So I, I try to approach everything that I put out from a standpoint of like, um, you know, what is the person on the other side actually getting from this or like, is it entertainment value? Is it educational? Is it inspiring? So every post, I think I try to have that, um, approach to it in some, in some way, um, but I, I don't know if I'll go as far as saying I necessarily like am a role model to a lot of people or I, you know, I'm not I'm not LeBron James. Like my platform is obviously not as big as that, but I, I do try to at least consider the other person on on the uh, on the other side of the computer whenever I'm posting something or um, putting something out into the world, because you never know who you might touch. You never know who's watching at the end of the day. And so. Uh, just being a shining light or a positive, part, like putting out something positive for someone else can can impact somebody, can change somebody's life. Um, and so I, I just try to be cognizant of that at the end of the day. Um, and then as far as like just uh, putting out content online, like for me, like besides the, the obvious like uh, inbound interest or attention or opportunities that come with that, like to me, it's a growth process. Like, um a lot of the stuff that, uh, you know, that I do put out is, is stuff that I researched or that I've learned or that I thought about, or it's, it's making me a better thinker. It's making me a better, uh, uh, putting out content just makes me a better creator as a whole, a better builder. Um, it just allows me, uh, it's something I like to do at the end of the day, like regardless of like the attention that I get from it or like, um, who's paying attention. Like I also enjoy doing this on a daily basis. Like it, it adds purpose to my life. And so mm -hmm. I, I think that even if a, a post gets three likes or, you know, it doesn't get the, the same attention as something I might put out last week, like it's not going to deter me from continuing to do something that I uh, genuinely enjoy and, and have some affinity for. So, um, I think everybody, you know, at the end of the day, like we all have stories, we all have different interests that make us who we are. And I think being able to share, um, you know, our lives to the extent that we want to online, I think is, has a lot of uh, a pros behind it. And, and I always encourage people, like, even if you um, are a little apprehensive about putting yourself out there, like, give it a try, man, because you, you never know. Uh, what can come from it, but you also don't know how much you might enjoy it at the end of the day and how, you know, the internet has changed a lot of people's lives. So uh, I'm, I'm always encouraging people to, to at least pick a platform and, and start talking, man, because that's, that's the way the world is nowadays. And we need more people doing that in, in a positive way. Yeah, really well said and a really holistic kind of approach. And another thing I'll, I'll add on to that is just, you know, if you're not Pick a platform because if you're not in some way engaging in the conversation, and it doesn't have to be posts, it can also just be writing meaningful comments. I feel like everyone is spending so much time on social media these days that if you're not commenting, posting, or doing anything to engage, you're just kind of spending a lot of time scrolling. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, 
But the way I see it too, is like, if you're already going to be spending, you know, for most of us, it's hours a day on these social Mm -hmm. media platforms, you know, you might as well, you know, try to contribute to the conversation in some way. Um, I love how you said earlier, how writing is therapeutic to you. I think the writing process is something that a drives me insane sometimes, but also (laughs) teaches me a lot about myself. Um, going back to those transferable skills that you talked about earlier. Um, you know, the writing process is never over, like never, you can always revise and make it better. So similar to how some people use basketball to learn about themselves, to learn about life. Um, you know, Mikey Kaufman was a guest we had on a few months ago that said, you know, basketball taught me how to work hard in life. You know, you could say the same for writing. So, and creating. So I think, I think that was all very, very insightful. Um, on that note, I really, really appreciate you, Malcolm. Thank you for taking the time. Probably one of the most, if not the most uh, educational, but also like empowering episodes we've we've had so far. So I appreciate you. The, the floor is yours at this time. If there's anything else you'd like to add, if there's anything we didn't touch on that you want to just leave people with. Um, but I'd also ask you, please let us know um, where we can find you and yourself online um through the hype report definitely plug your socials and yeah floor is yours absolutely no man i i appreciate the opportunity man anytime that i could kind of leverage um you know my experiences and things that i've done in life to to hopefully inspire or or help somebody else i'm always uh, happy to do so um but i'm i'm pretty much uh malcolm lemons on every social media platform probably most active on linkedin and twitter um, so you can find me there and the hype report is www.thehypereport.xyz. Um, and always appreciate any feedback or shares, um, you know, as it, as it pertains to the hype report. So, um, again, appreciate the opportunity, man. And, and, um, looking forward to continue building.